Good morning. Welcome to Radiant Ann Arbor. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm very tired this morning, but you know what? That's life. And the last prayer, the prayer service, I was tired, but as soon as we started singing, my spirit awoke and I just felt a rush of energy because that's the power of his presence. He just makes us come alive. So no matter if you have energy or not, he's going to give you the grace to worship him. He's going to 
restore energy. He's going to restore joy this morning, hope. He might even restore some relationships. He's going to do a whole lot because he cares. He cares so deeply about you. And I always say, we, we sing songs to love him, but he outloves us every time, every time. So let's stand to our feet. You're welcome to come to the front here and worship with us. Because Joyce doesn't want to be alone when she's leading this song. She wants some friends. God, we bless your heart this morning. You are such a good dad. You are so beautiful, God. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for sending us what was most precious to your heart, God. In Jesus' name.
what we can never keep. We gain what we will never lose. Joyce, what was that? What you were trying to do in the prayer service today? <laughs> Let's, let's figure it out. All right. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. In this life I live, I will follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. In this life I live.
And it's right and we'll be there where there's no water And I've seen you in the sanctuary Beheld your power and your glory And because your love is better than life itself Nothing else
I love about having family here at the front with us is the last time we did the song my sweet brother Jackson was here and he just helped me develop that little tag I could hear him singing and we kind of fed off of each other and that's what the Lord does in community the songs just rise up and we didn't strive for them amen and we're gonna pray and uh, this is what I wanted to focus to be on this morning as we spend some time praying, and that's unity in the body of Christ in our city. And um, I met with Albo, who's the pastor at 242 this week, and I just, I absolutely love him. Uh, I love 242 Ann Arbor and what the Lord's doing there and in him and in them. And one of the things he shared with me that they're actually going to do this week, um, it's kind of based off what happened at Sounds of the City when we were there a week and a half ago, whatever it was. And, and we prayed over the end, had groups of people praying over each other. And, you know, that's a part of our normal flow of how we do things at the end of every service. And like, they love that so much that this Sunday, they're gonna be doing that at the end of their service, that they're gonna be praying over each other. And for those of you who were here last January, when we were first learning and figuring that out, you know it's a little awkward. <laughs> and it takes some time to figure out how to do that. And what we do naturally now is something that has to be grown into. And so this morning, let's pray for 242. Wow. We love our brothers and sisters at 242. We're so grateful to be in this city with our brothers and sisters that are at that local gathering. We're two different gatherings of people, but we're part of one body. And there might be differences and differences in the way that we do things and some theological differences, but we have one Lord. We have one spirit who's made to, been made to dwell in us because we are part of one body. And so take a couple of minutes and would you spend some time praying for 242 and for their prayer time this morning, that the Lord would lead them into that and that he would continue to call them into being a praying and worshiping church and that he would continue to do that in all of the gatherings all across the city of Ann Arbor and in Washington County. Let's take a couple of minutes. Let's thank the Lord for 242. Let's thank the Lord for Pastor Albo and the people who are there and pray blessing over them in every area. And as they're praying together groups this morning. There's an anointing over them for that. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters.
we love you. And we're so grateful for what you've done for us. Lord, when we were far from you, you gave your life for us to bring us into your own family, to make us your own daughter, your own son. Jesus, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you what you're doing in us as a family here in this local gathering. Lord, thank you for the way you're making us family together with you. And, and we're learning that we aren't it, but that we're just a part of the body and that we so desperately need each other. And we need to love each other and to receive love from each other. And you minister to us through your body. And Lord, we pray for the body of Christ in our city. No gatherings better or worse than another. We're all family. We're all sons and daughters. And so Jesus, I pray that you would do a unifying work inside of our hearts. Lord, that you would work deep humility inside of our hearts to love each other. Jesus, that you would give us great grace and mercy for each other. That the way we love each other at every gathering in our county, Lord, is a reflection of the fact that we are disciples of Jesus and that those who are far from you recognize that we're disciples by the love that we have for each other. Lord, would you do that in us? And Lord, we specifically thank you for the family we have at 242. We love them, we bless them. Jesus, continue to lead them faithfully into faithfulness to you. Jesus, give them every provision that they need. Give them every encouragement, give them every correction they need. Jesus, all tied to you. And Lord, we specifically pray over them in the place of prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for stirring up desire inside of them to move into a greater level of prayer and, and praying over each other. Lord, I pray an anointing over them for that, that there's an ease to it, that even in the struggle of it, they see the beauty of it and that it's worthwhile. Jesus, this morning, uh, would you pour out gifts of your spirit into those who are in that family so that they can minister to each other and there can be a strengthening in your body there. Jesus, would you become more beautiful and more glorious in that place where there be a unity that exists inside of that gathering, Jesus, and that you would honor them with your presence this morning. And Lord, continue to develop our hearts to love them and to bless them and all the family of God in this area. We love you and we trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. Kids, you are dismissed. Your room leaders are in the back there and they will take you to rooms. And parents, you can pick up your kids after service lets out. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. And this is sort of our last week looking at this section of scripture. We've been talking about Jesus' teaching on remaining in him and the fruitfulness that comes when we learn to remain in him. And uh, we're ending this study on this passage um, by looking at this idea. And it's how to receive what we ask for in prayer. Now, just hearing me make that statement can stir up two different responses in you. One, you might be like, yes, like finally, um, you're pulling out the list from your bag of all the things you're gonna be praying for. Like I'm praying for a car, a house, a spouse, like in the name of Jesus, you want all these things. And some of you are hearing that and you're thinking like, oh my gosh, where's the door? I gotta get out of here before he asks us to sow a seed into his ministry, you know, something like that. And those are two legitimate responses that you can have because in the family of God, and we are a, a big, beautiful family, just talking about how important unity in the family is. But um, if you've been a part of a biological family, you know that some people have some different ideas on things, right? 
And there's some people you're like, I love you to death, but I think you're crazy. And, <laughs> and that's a part of the reality of what it means to be in the family of God too. We love each other to death, but some of us are crazy. And some of us are, we're all crazy in some area. There's some areas where we all have some wrong beliefs based on not understanding scripture. Even the Pharisees, who oftentimes we give them a bad rap, but these people were committed to scripture. They were memorizing the Torah. Like, that's big. We try to teach our kids to memorize one verse a month or, you know, something like that, and they get a star or whatever. It's like, they were memorizing entire books of the Bible flawlessly. They were committed to scripture. But Jesus even says to them when they're in error, he says, you're in error because you don't understand scripture or the power of God. What are you talking about? I have the whole scripture memorized. You can have it memorized and not understand what it's actually saying. In fact, I've read this book many times. It's big, it's confusing. There's a lot of things that I don't understand about this and there's wrong understanding that I have about scripture. I had a theology professor my first year, uh, my, my freshman year of college, and he said, 20% of what I'm going to teach you is wrong. And if I knew what it was, I would change it. But I don't know what I'm wrong about. And so we need to keep coming back and studying scripture to understand what it's saying, because we all have wrong ideas of it from the culture we grew up in, from our own experiences, from what family members, pastors, televangelists, all of them have said about it. And so we have to come back to really trying to dig in and understand what do the scriptures say? And what is the power of God? And how do these two work together to transform and to change me? And so when I talk about how we receive what we ask for in prayer, it might stir up some red flags and warnings. It might make us discount it or want us to name and claim everything there's ever been under the sun. But we have to come back to what does scripture speak to about this and how do we rightly understand them and how does the power of God transform us in light of this? So in John chapter one, not John chapter one, John 15, we've been on this for like five weeks and I don't even remember the chapter. John chapter 15, verse one, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask me for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends 
if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. You see twice in there, Jesus says that you will receive whatever you ask for. And in fact, that very end, and whenever you're looking at uh, you know, a passage of scripture or anything in literature, whenever you look at it, there's always kind of that, the beginning point, and then there's that end. Like this is the most important thing. This is what all of this is leading to and producing. And he ends that passage by saying that you will receive whatever you ask for using my name. When it says using my name, it's not if you say Jesus at the end of a prayer, it's like the magic formula that makes it happen. It means when you're praying according to my will. When you pray according to my will, you're going to receive whatever it is that you ask for. And then the last thing, this is my command, love each other. So I want you to know is that it is God's will for you to receive what you ask for in prayer. That sounds wrong. Like even for me sitting up here teaching this, it feels a little bit weird even saying that because I know where some of us are going with that. And I also know where I'm going with that. And, and my own trying to qualify it and to make it safer, to make it you know, like more beautiful, less abrasive. Like I'm, it's even hard for me to say this. And so just so you know, every time I preach, I preach to myself. This is the message I need to hear. And if you all benefit from it, that's great too. Uh, but I, I do this in humility and letting you know like, I'm trying to figure this out and I'm still in the journey of truly understanding what this means. And that's because I believe it's something that we will all spend our entire life learning and growing in this and understanding what this means. But this is what Jesus says. It is God's will for you to receive what you ask for. But Jesus does put a few conditions on this. And this is what we're gonna be looking at today. He says, you will receive what you ask for when, and what's that first thing he says? Is when we remain in him and he remains in us. Verse seven said, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. The starting point for us in our life in Christ is us remaining in him and him remaining in us. The way that we continue in our life in Christ is us remaining in him and him remaining in us. And what this speaks to is that, uh, you know, when you came to Jesus and when Jesus came to you, you were messed up. Like, you didn't think I am sufficient all on my own I am the master of my own life, so therefore I will submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus. No, what happened was you had an encounter with God and his glory, his holiness, his goodness, his beauty, his love, and it did something inside of you to recognize your own sinfulness. It did something inside of you to recognize your own brokenness and a, a realization of how beautiful and good he is. And it led you to put your faith in him. I believe that you are Lord. That means for us, like you are king. You are the one who's sovereign over all. 
You determine right and wrong. You are the one who determines reality and truth. And I submit myself fully, my full allegiance is to you. And I'm going to learn to live the way that you've commanded me to, the way of Jesus. I'm going to learn to live that out. And he puts his spirit inside of you, stirring that desire up. Because as you read through scripture, you're like, oh, that's not my natural desire to live like this. I don't want to do that. That's normal. That's the flesh part of you that's been discipled by the culture you live in. But Holy Spirit in you, Christ in you, causes you to have desires to actually live a life of godliness. It's something you can't produce inside of yourself on your own. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Christ in you stirs up new desires in you and then gives you the power, gives you the grace to actually be able to follow after those desires. See, uh, food is a good desire thing for me. Have you ever had those moments at night where you're like, gosh, I could really use an ice cream sundae. I know I'm about to go to bed, but what would really be good for me right now is like eight scoops of ice cream and caramel sauce and chocolate sauce and peanuts. And like, have you ever tried to do a diet and it's amazing how good every other food seems to you? Have you ever failed at a diet or fasting? Like, yeah, that's me. Like I've failed at fasting more than I succeeded at it because there's a desire inside of me to live a life of godliness, but there's also this other desire that's like, absolutely not. I love ice cream and pizza and food and everything else. That there's a real war that's going on inside of you. What Holy Spirit does is he doesn't just stir up the desires to live a life of godliness, to live submitted to King Jesus. He gives you the power to actually do it power you don't have on your own to be able to follow after Jesus faithfully in every area of your life. Christ in you and you remaining in him, like you are remaining submitted to him, produces something beautiful inside of you. It produces transformation in us over time. Not all at once, but over time, every day of your life, if you continue to remain in Christ, Christ remains in you. Holy Spirit in you, giving you new desires to live a life of godliness, new power to be able to actually follow those godly desires out inside of you and overcome temptation. That will be with you and in you and transforming you every day of your life until you take your last breath. If you remain in Christ, you will continue to be transformed and made to be more like Jesus. We go from glory, it's glorious that he saved us and put his spirit in us into glory. He continues to make us more like him. And that's the starting point for us, learning to receive what we ask for in prayer, because that is the starting point of our transformation into the image of Jesus and is what continues us on in the journey of becoming more like Jesus. If you ever remove yourself from submission to the desires of the Holy Spirit in you, you're like, I'm, this is where I draw the line. I know these are the commands of Jesus. I know this is what his spirit in me is giving me a desire to do, but the cost is too high. I don't wanna submit to this. That becomes the point where you start chopping on the, your own branch to sever yourself from the vine. What happens so many times is we get to a point where we say, Jesus, I'll follow you up till this point and then no more. It's too costly for me. It doesn't seem right. This seems backwards, old fashioned. This is 
Like you can't actually live this out. We try to live a life that's pragmatic. We'll look at the teachings of Jesus and say, okay, this is an ethic. It'll be in the fullness when he returns, but like we have to survive. We have to think about ourselves. We have to make these things happen. So we become pragmatic. Jesus was not pragmatic. Jesus was submitted. And it says that he submitted himself even to the point of death. Jesus didn't say, love your enemies and don't resist the evil man until they came to him to nail him to a cross. He actually remained submitted to loving his enemies and not resisting the evil person to the point of where it killed him. Jesus was not pragmatic. He was submitted. And because of that, he lived a life of incredible fruitfulness and he received what he asked for in the place of prayer. This is the starting point for us in everything in the Christian life. Holy Spirit in us and us choosing to remain in him transforms us every day until our last day when we enter into glory and see his face. We must remain in him. And then we must remain in his love. And I, I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit. Remember, what does it mean to remain in his love? Not to remain in a place of where he loves you. We can easily interpret it that way. I need to remain in the love of Christ. No, you will always be in the love of God. You cannot escape the love of God. No matter how much you rebel against him, no matter how much you reject him, you cannot escape his love. It says that when we were enemies of the cross, he died and gave himself for us. Like it's too late, he already loved you. There's nothing you can do about it. You cannot remove yourself from him, from his love for you. But when it says remain in his love, that means remain in his commands, that because he loves you, he's given us commands about the way that we live our life. Uh, you know, my kids, because I love them, I absolutely will not allow them to play in the highway. That can seem like a great restriction to them. That could seem old fashioned to them. That could seem backwards thinking to them because they don't understand. There's a lack of knowledge or experience that they have. And it's the same way for us with our Heavenly Father. He gives us good commands and as out of his love. And so because he loves us, he gives us commands. He gives us boundaries so that we can actually flourish and have true life in him. We have to choose to submit ourselves and remain in the boundaries that his love has caused him to give for us. If we don't remain in the confines of his love, once again, we start chopping on that branch and we start removing ourselves from the vine. We remain submitted to him and all of his commands, especially the ones that we don't understand. Those are the most important ones for us, the ones that we don't understand. Because it shows that we actually do believe that he's king. We do believe that he's good. We do believe that he's faithful. And so our costly act of worship is to submit ourselves to him even when we don't agree with him or even when we don't understand him. Why? Because we know that he loves us. Because we've seen the demonstration of his love for us. And someone who loves us to the point of giving their life for us when we were an enemy of them, we can trust them. And we can trust that all of his commands and all of the boundaries that he gives us are good for us and that they lead to life and they keep us from destruction. He says, remain in me by obeying my commands. And then he says this, when we become his friends, we receive what we ask for in prayer 
when we become his friends. See, what happens over time with the Lord is it starts out as I believe that you are king and I believe that you are the Messiah, the one who saves me. But over time, you develop friendship with the Lord. And this is what happened to the disciples. There was a time when he was just a rabbi to them. There was a time when he was just a teacher and they were like, I believe what you're speaking is truth and I wanna be like you, but like, you know, there's no intimacy with him. But after three years, he says to them, now you're my friends. And what was the evidence of the friendship? That Jesus revealed to them what he was going to do. He brought them in an understanding of who he was and understanding what his plans and what his purposes were. Uh, when I married Anna like 18 and a half years ago, uh, she was my wife, but we weren't really friends yet. We thought we were, but it turns out that the more time you spend with someone, the more intimacy you develop with them. And, uh, you know, she was a complete mystery to me. She still is mostly a mystery to me, but I understand her more now. I'm beginning to understand the way that she thinks. Not like really like nailed down. Hopefully in another 18 years, I'll understand her a lot more, but it takes time. It takes time to begin to understand someone and to develop the intimacy with her. It takes time for us to begin to understand Jesus and to develop intimacy with him. But as you get to know him more, as you begin to understand his plans and his purposes through him remaining in you and you remaining in him, through his words remaining in you, through you remaining in his love, over time, intimacy begins to develop and you begin to understand what's on his heart and you begin to understand what's on his mind. You start to understand more of his nature and his character. That's what the, disciples, the uh, Pharisees were missing out on so much about Jesus. Memorize scripture, but they didn't understand the nature and the character of God. They completely missed out on him. We can memorize the scriptures, but completely not understand what the scriptures are saying because we haven't actually developed intimacy with God. As you do that, you begin to understand Jesus more. And as you begin to understand Jesus more, you begin to understand what he would do or what he's wanting to do in different situations. And this is so key for the way that we pray, is understanding the heart and the nature and the character and the purposes and the plans of God. The more I study scripture, it just continues to baffle me how beautiful and how brilliant and how connected all of it is and how good the purposes and plans of God are. And you can see more and more of what he's doing. You can see more and more of where he's taking us to in a recreated heaven and earth. You see more and more of how we're called to live here and now as an outpost, as a colony of heaven, demonstrating the glory of God and what discipleship looks like and what it means to be a part of his family. The more you understand it over time, the more beautiful it becomes. And we get to the point where the seventh seal is open and it says there's stunned silence in all of heaven at the beauty and the wisdom of God's plan and what he'd been doing throughout all of history. But as we develop friendship with Jesus, as we develop intimacy with him, we begin to understand more what his nature and character is like, what his plans and purposes are. And as we do that, we learn to pray 
in a way that is according to his nature and his character, his purposes, and his plans. And then we receive what we ask for when we learn to love one another. Here's what immature praying looks like. And this is a starting point for every one of us. So if this is where you're at, this isn't condemning you. Like, this is where we all are. I was talking to my, one of my kids uh, about music and he's like trying to learn how to do things. And it's like, hey, you're developing skills right now. You're developing a language so you can use this language to you know, create music, but you have to learn these important rudiments and skills that are kind of boring to learn. But if you don't learn these, you won't be able to progress. When we learn how to pray, it's perfectly fine to be immature and new in prayer because that's where every single person starts. There's absolutely no shame in that. But when we start praying, we oftentimes start praying just for ourselves. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, I need you to do this for me. Lord, I need, and it's all like very much centered on yourself. And you should pray for the things that you need. But as you begin to develop in prayer, and as you begin to mature as a follower of Jesus, and you learn to love one another, it changes the way you pray. It's not that you don't still pray for the things you need, because we are commanded by Jesus and modeled by Jesus to pray for the things that we need. But we start having a heart to pray for other people. Lord, they're going through this. Would you provide this for them? Lord, would you do this in their marriage? Lord, would you open, like, Lord, would you reveal to them? Like, you just start putting a focus on other people. You begin to move from a place of just praying for yourself to now you're interceding for others. Why? Because you've gone from a place of just loving yourself to learning to love each other. And when you learn to love each other, it changes the way you pray. Um, I remember... <laughs> I thought it was so funny when I was a kid hearing like, you know, we're supposed to pray for our enemies. And so there was a prayer of an Irish saint who prayed, Lord, you know, turn their hearts or turn their ankle. And I was like, that's so funny. Like I can, pr like I can pray for my enemies in like a way that's not good for them. That's not the way God called us to pray for our enemies. Jesus prayed for the people who nailed him to the cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's some mature praying. That's some deep transformation that's taken place inside of their hearts because that is not natural. the one who could have summoned the angels to come and to rescue him. Prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't pray for your enemy's ankles to be turned. Pray for them to have revelation of who Jesus is. Pray for them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in them that they would learn to remain in Christ and that Christ would remain in them and that their lives would be so radically changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in them that they go from being an enemy to a brother or a sister, even if it means you have to lay down your life on their behalf. Jesus knew how to love each other to the point of laying down his life.
Jesus modeled the way that we receive what we pray for many places throughout scripture. But I think it's best demonstrated in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he's arrested and he goes to trial and then he's crucified. And he says this in Matthew 26, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Do you think about Jesus that way? You would think it's ungodly to be in the place where you're crushed with grief to the point of death. Like you need to understand, you know, like you're saved and you're on your way to heaven and you need to have like, you know, like we would have like the whole spiel we would give them. Jesus, who is God and perfectly models to us the holy possible of a life fully submitted to the Father and filled with the Holy Spirit is crushed with grief to the point of death. And he says, stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and he bowed his face to the ground saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. <laughs> and he said, Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Jesus prays this three times. And then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus lived his entire life remaining in the father. Jesus lived his entire life with the Father remaining in him. He remained in the Father's love. He was fully obedient to every command that the Father gave him. And Jesus was filled with love for others, which is why he was able to pray, to be real with God and say, I am crushed to the point of death. If there's any way humanly possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to go through the suffering and I don't want to go through the anguish of the cross. I don't want to go through all that entails. God, if there's any way that this cannot happen, would you do that in me? But not my will be done, yours. Praise that three times. He even prays, I love this. he tells Peter, like, hey, pray, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. We think that's just talking to Peter and to James and John. That's a statement I believe Jesus is even making about himself. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. My spirit wants to be fully obedient, but the reason he's crushed to the point of death from grief is because of what his body is about to go through. 
His spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. So pray for me. And he's praying for himself. God, I don't want to do this, but I want your will to be done no matter what it is. And Jesus then, after praying three times, gets up knowing what the will of the Father is. And he goes into it with peace. He goes into it with love, without fear, without anxiety. Jesus is able to, able to fully enter into his suffering with strength. And even for the joy that sat before him. Why? Because he had remained in Christ. Oh, that's a terrible thing to say. He, he remained in God. We remain in Christ. He had remained in God and God had remained in him. He had not severed himself. He had remained fully obedient. He was filled with love for others. And so he was able to pray, God, your will be done. My body be crushed. Me enter into great suffering. I'm now even agreeing with this, that this is good. I'm going to enter into it. He's praying and he receives the thing that he's asking for because of the fact that he's remained in God. He's remained submitted and obedient. He's remained in his love. He's been filled with love for others and he has a friendship with the Father. He knows his plans and purposes and what he's doing. The Lord wants you to receive what it is that you're asking for in the place of prayer. What that doesn't mean is that he's just waiting for you to bring the list of all the things that are your desires. What it means is he's inviting you into a process of transformation where as you remain in him and he remains in you, as you continue to learn obedience to all of his commands, remaining in his love, as you continue to learn to love each other and to have the heart of Jesus formed and shaped in you so that you love each other. And as you learn intimacy and friendship with him, your desires are going to change. And it won't be that you're coming to the Lord with your flesh desires. It will be that your heart has been changed to become like his heart. That's what discipleship means. We're becoming like Jesus. The way you think is going to be the way Jesus thinks. Your desires and your motivations are going to be the desires and the motivations of Jesus. Your desires will change to the point of that you want is what he wants. And so you begin to ask not for the things that your flesh wants, but you begin to ask for the things that are on his heart, that are a part of his plans and his purposes. And as you pray for those things, you will receive what you're asking for. We need to learn to have our hearts transformed and changed so that when we pray, when we intercede for each other, it's fueled by Jesus in us. It's fueled by love for each other. It's fueled by his words remaining in us. We're praying the will of God over each other. We have an ear to hear what he's saying. We have eyes to see what he's doing. And those become the things that we pray for. And as we pray for those things, we receive what we've asked for. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for perfectly demonstrating to us how to live, 
and how to pray. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you and to your work in us. Transform us and make us like you. Help us learn to abide in Christ. Help us learn to remain connected to you and you and us. Holy Spirit, change our desires. Change the way that we think. Change the way that we, we act and behave, Jesus. Everything about us, transform us and make us like Jesus. Fill us with love for one another. God, develop deep intimacy with us and that we develop that with you so that we understand your heart and your will. Give us the understanding of how to pray, Lord, and how to pray for ourselves and how to pray for each other, connected to you and fully satisfied and fulfilled in you. And Lord, give us the faith to continue to pray. Give us a grace to pray, to hear your words, to see what you're doing. Lord, give us the faith to remain and to continue to learn how to pray all as we continue to learn how to remain in you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, now we're actually going to pray. And so what we do at the end of every service is we break into groups of like four to eight people. And I want you to continue to think of yourself. You are the family of God. You are ministers of Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit in you has made you a priest, holy and set apart to minister to him and to minister to each other. And so much of what we see not happen in the Western church is because of the fact that we look to people on stages to do the work of the ministry instead of recognizing the holy call that's on every single one of us and the gifting that God's put in every single one of us to be able to encourage and to pray over each other and to partner with God to minister to each other. And so I can't encourage you enough. Stick around and pray. Get into a group and pray. If there's anything that you're going through, these are confidential brothers and sisters who love you, aren't judging you. They're for you. They want to see God's will be done in you for you to prosper in your faith and in your faithfulness to him. This is a safe place to receive prayer. And there are gifts that the Lord has given you that he wants to use for you to minister to others. So it's not just that you need prayer because you might not need prayer today but others need you to stand on their behalf and to intercede for them and to learn to love and to hear Jesus and to be fully submitted in every area so that we can receive the things that we ask for in prayer. Can't encourage you enough. Get into a group. Let's pray. Love you all. God bless. We'll see you next week.